Welcome back to another episode of Louisiana Ladies. My name is Melissa Torito. And I am Maggie Robinson. And this is a podcast with with no no agenda. agenda. We would love if you guys would subscribe to the podcast and that way you never miss a new episode. Additionally, when you subscribe, if you could rate and review, we would really appreciate that as well. We are also on social media, both Instagram and Facebook, so please give us a follow at Louisiana Ladies Podcast. And Maggie? You can reach us at our email address, louisianaladiespodcast at gmail.com. We're back with another episode of Louisiana Ladies, and in continuing with our theme of the month for highlighting some of our awesome nonprofit organizations in Baton Rouge, we have, Maggie, who do we have sitting right here? We have Pat Van Berkeley from Boys and Girls Club. Should I be saying Boys and Girls Club? Of something. Metro Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because that just recently changed, That's right? recently changed. That's correct. Okay, because I was going to say of Greater Baton Rouge. That's what it used to be. Exactly. Okay, see, I'm not that far off, Pat. So we're <laughs> going to talk to Pat. He is um, a super amazing guy. I feel like everybody in Baton Rouge knows Pat. I don't think so, but... <laughs> well, I mean, you know... You, you're I've been around a long time. You have been around a long time. So thank you, Pat, for being here. And I made Maggie say his last name because I was going to butcher it, even though Pat told me it was easy. But it's not easy for me. It's a good Dutch name, Van Berkley O. Van Berkley O. I probably try to make it harder than what it should be. Um, so book club updates since this uh, this episode will drop the, well, close enough to September. I'm all confused on my dates because I'm going on vacation, which we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the book for September is The Very Nice Box, which sounds kind of like a funny name now that I'm reading it, by Laura Blackett and Eve Gleishman. Hopefully I said that right. It's got 3.95 stars on Goodreads, and I think it just came out. The reason why I thought this one was going to be a good one is because it said, for fans of Eleanor Oliphant, it's completely fine. And I don't know if anybody's read that book, but I just really love that book. It's quirky. It's funny. It's different. So I think you guys will really enjoy that. Um, I did finish Finley Donovan is Killing It. And I was like, okay, there's a sequel. Oh. Yeah. Guess what? It doesn't come out until February 2022. Oh. Like, I'm going to remember. That'll be here before we know it. So did you finish it, Maggie? You did. I loved it. What'd you think? I know it's very entertaining. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a page turner. Do you read, Pat? I I learned how to read in like third grade. Okay. Why haven't you read books? (laughs) I'm not a huge reader, but yeah, I I, I read occasionally. (laughs) So yesterday at our partner meeting, they asked about reading, and I told the partners I read about two books a week, and they were like. No, you don't. I'm like, well, how would you know what I read? And then Jeremy, I'm totally going to call him out, was like, is it like Danielle Steele, Melissa? I'm like, Jeremy, I'm not 80. No offense to the 80-year-olds, but like, oh my God. They couldn't, they couldn't move. There was a 10-minute discussion about, though, I really read two books a week. I'm like, I don't watch TV. Gives you a lot of time to read, right? Okay. Anyway. Typical partner meeting of Melissa defending herself. So, um, (laughs) anyway, um, moving on. Uh, just a little FYI for everyone. Maggie, actually, I'm just, I got sidetracked. <laughs> what happened to your reduced tumbler? Um, y'all, it looks like it got in an accident. Um, it it did. 
Uh, so we're playing in a co-ed tournament this weekend, and we had batting practice, and I just put my cup down and went to go hit, and that's a dent from the softball hitting. Okay, it. we might have to take a picture of that. It, I was really sad, because I'm, I'm hitting, and Aaron's like, you're going to hit your cup, you're going to hit your cup, because I kept hitting balls that way, and sure enough, boom. Okay, um, totally got distracted. Anyway, I have hired a health coach. I can't, for some reason, I'm looking at Pat to validate everything that I'm saying. <laughs> um, and so that has been really good. It's, I've only been working with them for about two weeks. Um, if anybody has any specific questions about what we're talking about, feel free to reach out to us. I uh, just went ahead and did that as an investment in my health, my stress level, you know, the sleep thing, and what, what are some really good, uh, what's a good workout regimen for me, for lack of better words. All right. Maggie, word of the episode. Word of the episode. Word up. Scuttlebutt. I like that word. Scuttlebutt. A noun that refers to rumor or gossip. Oh, we got a sentence. After he retired, Bob regularly stopped by the office to catch up on the latest scuttlebutt. I feel like that's what people do when they retire. <laughs> they we can be, only hope. <laughs> they want to stay in the know. Yeah. Right. I feel like my dad kind of likes to do that. So, speaking of my dad, we have a microphone because my dad texted me literally the morning that the episode came out that our microphone uh, bit the dust right before we recorded with Renee Shadling, and we just had to wing it, and so I asked if anybody would sponsor us for a mic, and my dad sponsored the mic, so he got with Lainey, and thank you, Dad. We and really it's appreciate snazzy. It. I mean, I liked our silver one, but this black one is I mean, the black looking. really looks sharp. What do you think? Do we look like It's sharp, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, that's what we're Very David Letterman-ish. Thanks, Pat. <laughs> okay. Well, we think we're kind of funny. Um, okay, so let's go ahead and move right into talking to Pat. Okay. All right, so Pat, I'm going to kind of go off script because we don't have an agenda since this is a podcast, so there's no agenda. I'm not right. sure if you've listened to it. That's our tagline. Um, so let's just start talking about you. Where are you from? I grew up in South Texas in McAllen, which is from my house to the Mexico border is 12 miles. And so uh, down by the Rio Grande Valley, which is by Brownsville, Harlingen, McAllen. Okay. And how long did you live there? I lived there. uh, I moved away when I was 18 and never moved back. Okay. So I went off to school at uh, University of North Texas. Oh, okay. And uh, stayed in the Dallas area until I came to Baton Rouge in 1990. So okay, so what I, brought you to Baton Rouge? Well, I married a girl from Baton Rouge. Oh, that typically and you happens. women love Baton Rouge a whole lot. <laughs> so, she wasn't going to leave. Well, she was from Dallas, and um, she was living in Dallas. That's where we met. Or we really met in Austin. A friend of mine married a friend of hers, and so we met at the wedding. But, um, you know, I was working in nonprofit in Dallas. Uh, before that, I was in government affairs. But I, in Dallas, I was working for the I Have a Dream Foundation in Dallas, which is a scholarship program. And um, we thought, you know, we're young and we're married now, and where should we be living to think about raising a family? And I thought if finding some place that we had some connection was better than Kansas City, nothing against Kansas City, but why go there when we have an opportunity to come to Baton Rouge? So she came home from uh, her sister's engagement party with the advocate, and there was an ad in the paper for the executive director of Boys Club. And I saw that ad and called and said, I'm interested in this job. So it was just Boys Club? It was just Boys Club. The How sexist. I know, it's very <laughs> sexist. Although uh, 
boys club actually got started, you know, 150 years ago, just as a boys uh, uh, program. But nationally, we've been serving girls even before the name change. But in Baton Rouge, the names didn't change until I got here uh, in 1990. And we changed it to Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Baton Rouge. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So you have been in this role. Since 1990, yeah. Right. So if anybody wants to do the math on that, that's 31 years. That's 31 years. Exactly. That's longer than Maggie and Laney have been alive. I know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just math, people. It's just math. That's, that's right. It's just, it's just a number. It's, it's just a number. It's, I know. When people say, well, my husband told me this morning when I made a comment, he goes, babe, you're 40. And I was like... Um, uh, I'm 39. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm not 40 yet. So like the whole, it's a number thing. I can't really get past, but whatever. Props to people that can. So I guess just let's talk about you know those early days with the Boys and Girls Club and what's. I feel like now there there's been a merger that we want to talk about. Sure. But even if you had, even if there wasn't the merger, I feel like the club today is probably vastly different than the club. Whenever you started. It really was. I mean, we uh, had a facility on Winburn Avenue, an old abandoned fire station that Tom Ed McEwen, who was the mayor at the time, had allowed us to use. And uh, it was really run down and kind of a crappy building. And But we were serving kids out of that every day after school and on Saturdays and during the summer and those kind of things. But it was, our whole budget was about $130,000 when I started. And unbeknownst For the year? For the year, yeah, yeah, for the whole year. Oh, okay. So it was a small organization, and and where I, were you supposed to get that hundred and thirty thousand dollars? Well, we had a ragtag board at the time that really were some great people, and one for those volunteers, uh, we wouldn't be in existence today. I mean, they had a real passion and said, "We're gonna, we're gonna make this work. We're gonna make this work." And so, um, and some people have. A lot of these guys, unfortunately, have passed away, like Johnny Roberts. Johnny mm-hmm. Roberts was an Exxon employee, a, a great engineer. He was board president for like four years in a row. He really saved the organization, giving personal money and personal loans. But anyway, so it, we, we, we just had a plan that we were going to go out and, and raise the dollars. Unbeknownst to me, and I'll just tell you some story, they had a grant from the Department of Education called uh, Cities and Schools. And... I don't want to say money was misappropriated. I don't think that was it at all. I just think that they, back in the days, we didn't do reimbursable grants. The state would give you a chunk of money, and they made payroll with it. And maybe all that payroll didn't go exactly for the people who were supposed to go for. So the state came in and did an audit before I even got here, and we owed $60,000 to the state. So I remember coming home to my wife and going, oh my gosh, our budget is only like 130 and we owe sixty. I think we made the biggest mistake of our lives yeah. moving to Baton Rouge. That's like but, almost uh, half your budget. We had, we had a powwow with the board and said, you know, we can do this. We can do this. And we retired that debt that same year. And I started in August. So by December, we had retired that debt by going out and raising money and had made payroll ever since. And uh, again, it's really a, an attribute to the volunteers that we have working for us, that our board members that we you know recruit and train do a great job out there. Now our budget um, sits at about $4 million. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we have grown a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the biggest change I think we had besides adding girls, uh, and we had to leave the Windburn facility because it was an old fire station that was a single sex fire station. So we only had one bathroom and it was hard to do co-ed programs in one bathroom. 
And uh, the city at the time wasn't willing to do anything to improve the building. So we left that building and walked across the street um, to Winburn Elementary School and mm-hmm. said, y'all have got the facilities and the bathrooms and all that kind of stuff. Why can we use you guys? And um, at the time, it was kind of unheard of that Boys and Girls Clubs doing space, doing programs inside a school program. And I remember the national organization said, I'm not sure you qualify as a Boys and Girls Clubs. And I said, well, our mission is the same, even though we're not facility-based, we're still doing all the same programming and all those kind of things. Well, today, uh, the fastest growing area of Boys and Girls Clubs are school-based programs. So I don't want to say we were innovative 20, 30 years ago, but we really were. We realized that it was less expensive to coexist in someone else's facility. And then we were able to serve girls and and keep those things. Now, there are some downsides, and we can talk about that later, about why school buildings are great and not so great. But um, So that's been a big change. Since we moved into the school, we ended up becoming a little bit more educational focused than a lot of clubs. Uh, mostly 30 years ago, it was a uh, you know, swim and gym kind of program. We entertained kids by you know, playing basketball, and lots of clubs around the country had pools and those kind of things. And it was more of a recreational kind of social development thing. But since we moved into the schools, the schools wanted us to you know, help them with their educational numbers. And so we really started pushing more literacy and, and uh, math programs than anything else. And so we started measuring our outcomes based on, you know, how the kids were performing in schools. I'm embarrassed to ask some of these questions being that I was on the board, kind of still quasi on the board. (laughs) Um, But can you just walk our audience through, you know, what are the ages? So I'm going to ask several questions at once, Pat. Sure. Okay. The age groups that, that the program serve. All right. And how does one, how does a child get into the program? And then from there, how does the program exist? I'm assuming there's staff. Well, I know there's staff and then there's volunteers. But just kind of that process, like a day, like it's a day, you know, third day of school. Y'all got a program in place. What happens? Yeah. So now that we're a much larger organization since we merged, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. So our, our model delivery has changed depending on where we are. But in East Baton Rouge Parish, where we have uh, five programs going on, uh, and they're all school-based, or we have a, a program at Alaska Street, Breck Park. Um, so we're school-specific. So if you go to University Terrace, which we have an after-school program there, you're invited to be in our program. We invite kids who were in the program last year or in the summer first, and then we have a limit based on our budget on how many kids we can do it. Now, COVID has put a limit on how many kids we can serve also. So, and it's really on a first come, first serve basis. It's a free program after school. And so, if you attend University Terrace and want to stay after school to do Boys and Girls Clubs, you, you can do that. When we're in Slidell or Covington or West Bank, where we have our own facilities, parents have to get their kids at some, figure out how to get their kids get to those facilities. So uh, in some of our communities, we have school buses actually dropping kids off. And then we have also kids walking to our facilities or parents pick them up at school and then drop them off at Boys and Girls Clubs. So, you know, when you have a facility, that's a little bit more variety of what, what happens. Most, all of our programs all start the same way. And that's providing our kids with an evening snack or an evening meal. And so we work with um, the, the school feeding program or um, in New Orleans, we're working with the food bank down there and we provide all of our kids a snack. 
uh, as a, a healthy snack at that. So then once they finish their snack, they go into what we call power hour, which is an hour time of educational work and really helping the kids finish their homework. Okay. So we divide the kids up by, you know, age group or by grades, and we have a staff person uh, for every group, and they go into a classroom, and they work on their homework. And if they don't have homework, we're giving them other informa- other stuff to do to keep them busy while other kids are doing homework. We don't really do tutoring necessarily, but we do homework assistance. But we have a staff person in there who has hopefully been connected to the school day and know what's happening. And they're there to help. So the tutoring is micro-tutoring. So it's in that micro-burst of, oh, think about this. But it's not that one-on-one tutoring. Then once that hour is finished, um, or if there's not homework, you know, some days teachers don't give homework. We, you know, we rotate those kids into different programs, uh, curriculums, like every 45 minutes. So um, before COVID, we had a guy who uh, came to us and said, I know how to play the ukulele. Can I teach the kids how to play the ukuleles? So I was like, heck yeah, let's go. So I bought 15 ukuleles, and we had a ukulele band at one of our sites. <laughs> you know, so that was an experience those kids would never get without coming to the Boys and Girls Club. They go into arts and crafts. They go into program health fitness program. We do curriculum around, you know, eating smart and making wise, healthy choices about educational development and careers and so almost anything you can think about, we're running these kids through a curriculum. And every day, those curriculum programs change. So I may do art on, on Monday, and then on Tuesday, I'm going to a nutrition class, and on Thursday, I'm doing something else. And so it's just a, a variety of things that we're, we're doing with the kids. And so in these schools, if it wasn't for the Boys and Girls Club program, some of these kids would not have a program to go to after school. That's correct. There are some programs, and of course, there's other nonprofits that do offer after-school programs. And uh, a lot of people think, man, there's too many of y'all. But we really get together, and we say, I'll mention our biggest competitor, but also our biggest friend is Big Buddy Program. And we, Galen Mack and I have known each other for 30 years. And I was like, Gay, if you're going to be at Idea Academy, I'm not going to be there. But you're going. are you going to be at University Terrace? No, I'm going to be at University And so we kind of plot those things mm-hmm. out. Uh, so we know we're not stepping on each other's toes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But I'll, the schools that we try to go into are the lower-performing schools in East Baton Rouge Parish. Uh, so we are not at a charter school at this time, but we are at... Um, you know, low-performing schools, which unfortunately in Baton Rouge is a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So you see, yeah. there's lots of big problems. But I think that that speaks to why you guys have to exist. Oh, yeah, exactly. What would it be like if y'all didn't exist? Right. I mean, uh, and we have the greatest kids in the world, I've got to say that, and really caring parents. And you know, lots, lots of times people assume, you know, negative things about our kids and the communities that they come from. But the kids that we work with and even their families really care about them. And a lot of our families are working poor. They have multiple jobs. Uh, they need a place for their kids to go to at 6 o'clock at night so they can provide for their family. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, so the volunteers run these programs? And no, no, no. We hire staff people okay. to run these programs. Because I mean, like, do you have to be certified to a certain extent? Uh, you, trained? You have, to, what, trained? you have to be trained and you have to pass a background check. Okay. Trained and pass <laughs> so, a background check. Okay. So we, we, are, we do uh, kind of three um, blocks of training, kind of a cohort or every semester. 
And so in the spring and fall, they get 20 hours of training before we place them into the Boys and Girls Clubs. And in the summer, where our programs run from 7.30 to, to 5.30, we do 40 hours of training with an instructor before they get into the program. Because summer is just, you know, amplified everything that we do during the school year is, is amplified during the summer. And then we use our volunteers, again, kind of a, a variety of way. We do have a mentoring program so people can come into our programs. And we actually have an e-mentoring program that we will assign you with one child. We do not take them roller skating and it's not that kind of you know, big brother, big sister mentoring. We really want our mentors to ask uh, to have another person in their lives that sets expectations on them because we really think the kids rise to an expectation. Mm -hmm. So we want our volunteers and we people. Yeah. General. That's right. Exactly. So we have a we have a you know a little curriculum that we run with our volunteers, with our kids, and it's like, hey, how'd you do with your homework last night? Why didn't you do your homework? How do you do on that spelling tip? I mean, we just need kids, have people in the kids' lives asking those important questions. Mm-hmm. Our parents probably ask that of them, mm-hmm. of us. And mm-hmm. so we just need, and just that. Now, of course, they become good friends and they talk about other things. But their main goal of being a mentor is really rising the expectations on, on their school performance. Yeah, and holding them accountable. Yeah, exactly. That's right. I'm big on accountability. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> I am too. I don't know if other people like that. I'm big on accountability. But, but then we do have some volunteers who'll come in and, um, you know, maybe an art person. And they're like, I, can I just do art with the kids? And so I'm like, yeah, come every Tuesday and we'll throw you in an art room yeah. and you do art with them. So there's a place for almost anybody. And then we have volunteers who just like help us with the snack program. And they hand out snacks and talk to the kids. How was your day? And all that kind of stuff. And then they leave after that. So there's a place for almost any kind of volunteer uh, at, at us. Now, I will tell you, volunteerism is is great and wonderful, but it is a liability with us. I mean, we expose our kids to lots and lots of people, mm-hmm. and we take that very seriously. Mm-hmm. So our volunteers have to go through a screening process, a training program, an orientation, other things. Because what last thing we want to do is put our kids in danger by having some stranger do something with one of our kids. And so, and we talk about this. If you don't talk about it, it doesn't happen. So sexual abuse is, a, is an issue. Mm-hmm. And so we want to protect our kids with that. So we make some really tough rules. Like, you know, you can't talk to the kids on Facebook and you can't be friends with them on social media because that's out of our control. We want to, everything that you do with the kid, we need to be our eyes on it. And so you can't take them to her your kid's birthday party or you can't take them, you know, I want to buy them a Christmas present, take them shopping. Well, that's lovely, but it's out of our purview and we can't let you do that. Yeah. So setting expectations for your volunteers. Exactly. And boundaries, that's right. Pat. <laughs> Y'all just have the whole package. Okay. Exactly. I will say though, interacting with the kids is by far, I mean, one of the, one of my favorite things to do as a board member because they're, they're so funny sometimes. Um, but but I do have to say, and Pat, I cannot remember exactly what you do, but whenever we've gone to the PB&J luncheon or we're at Steak and Steak and the kids aren't listening, what is it that y'all get up and say? You're going to have to this little song. Yeah, and they all listen. And I'm like, I should do that for it's impressive. My, my team. Yeah. So we we, we do have a, a, a little thing called Harambe that we do, which is a Swahili word for meaning coming together. And really, Harambe does is a couple of things. It really informs the kids of what's happening for the day. We celebrate the day and people's birthdays and good work and those kind of things. But it also teaches our kids, and we say this all the time, is 
everything that we do at Boys and Girls Clubs needs to have an intentional purpose. So even if you're playing Foursquare with them, why are you playing Foursquare with them? What are they learning from this? And the staff person needs to be able to articulate that to me or their supervisor on why they do that. So Harambe does a couple of things. One, it celebrates an African-American tradition of cheers and chants, or cheers and um and, ch- and chance. And then it also teaches the kids how to get hyped up and then get quiet. And that's a really hard thing for kids to learn. We can, yeah, celebrate, celebrate, hype them up on sugar, but how do you get them back down? And so Harambe really helps us do that. And so part of the <laughs> things to do is when my hand goes up, what? My mouth goes shut or something? My mouth goes shut. Shut. Yeah, exactly. Well, do it. So, yeah. And so, Pat does have a very, um, your voice carries I, yeah, very I, I, similar to mine. So right. it's like, I mean, he can be in that the Renaissance Hotel, that huge room, and they're like, you know, they all come to attention. But I think it's, I mean, I think that that's great. Yeah, yeah. Like we that, have to have cues to keep our kids, you know. Because they're kids. They're, they're kids, kids, right. They're yeah, kids, yeah. Right? So, but I will tell you, if you come and volunteer, we may make you do a little jingle I've or dance because... And I got a picture taken while I was doing it, and I got posted to Facebook. That's right. I'm a ham, so I'll get up there and dance any day of the that's week. Right. I don't care. You know, doesn't take much. Okay, so let's talk about the the recent merger. I mean, that was a process. It was a process. If I'm just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I was I wasn't involved in the pro. I just knew about the process. Which I want to say something about Pat really quick, though. I there. I feel like, and I think I've told you this before, probably at your house when we had to get together. But there goes that memory again, Pat. Yeah, exactly. So Pat, I was like, you don't drink coffee, you drink Diet Coke, right? And he goes, good memory. I'm like, I remember <laughs> the stupidest crap, okay? But um, that I couldn't imagine being an executive director of an organization that's this big and that has been around for so long and the stress that comes with that. Actually, I couldn't imagine being an executive director of any nonprofit. And I've never seen someone handle stress as well oh, as Pat. Wow. He never looks straight. I would be, if COVID would, if I would have been an executive director during COVID and my my entire, everything we do is in person, you know? I yeah, mean, you just, well, you just. I used to have it. hair. I used to be thin. <laughs> so, you know, maybe I I guess to- I'm just saying, the way, <laughs> so- that Pat, the way that you carry yourself, especially in front of the board and. You know, I just, I really think that that's great because I would be a basket case and everybody would know it. So. Well, I appreciate that. So, uh, for all of us, COVID was a difficult situation. And for the Boys and Girls Clubs, there's really only four Boys and Girls Clubs organizations in the state. And Baton Rouge, Greater Baton Rouge has been the largest, and then the Cadiana and the Lafayette area. And then Southeast Louisiana, which is in the Greater New Orleans area. Mm-hmm. And then North Louisiana is our, is our smallest organization. So South Louisiana has had um, a big turnover of staff in their chief professional officer, kind of CEO, president position for for whatever reason. And they have struggled as an organization. And um, they had done a year-long search to try to find somebody. And they found this man from Colorado to come in and run the organization. Then That happened like in January. And then March, COVID happened. And his parents, who lived in Colorado, got COVID. And I think it was a wake-up call for him to go, what am I doing in New Orleans when I should be with my family? And so after all that long search, they he, he resigned and moved back to Colorado. And the board was just exhausted from the search and trying to piece the organization together. 
and they came to us and we had we had managed the organization about seven years ago when they were in between an organ in between an executive director anyway so i was a little familiar with the organization and those kind of things so my first response was like no 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 we're not going to do this but then you know we are part of a a a movement of boys and girls clubs and i thought this was an opportunity so we really presented this as if can we do something bigger and better not only just merge the organization but can i make baton rouge stronger and then can we you know right size the the southeast organization at that time new orleans didn't even have a program inside the city of new orleans they only had three facilities in west bank covington and slidell okay and so we made a couple of commitments that if we were going to do this we needed to get back in new orleans immediately and then we needed to look organizational wide at innovative programs and opportunities to maybe improve all work that we do with all of our kids so uh, i'm real Pleased to say that the merger got finished in April, and then by June, we were back in New Orleans at two facilities. Kind of take borrowing from what we've been doing here in Greater Baton Rouge for 30 years, as we went to the Parks and Recreation Department and said, listen, we need a facility. So where are your underutilized facilities that we will staff and put the kids in there? So if you're from New Orleans, the Stallings Recreational Park and Milne, Recreational Park were the two sites that we were there, mm-hmm. and we've made a commitment to them that we were going to stay there for the school year. So, um, but yeah, it's a it 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 was a the cultural differences between New Orleans and Baton Rouge are huge, mm-hmm. and even uh, though we're like sixty miles from each other, you know, exactly seventy miles. I know, yeah, but. Um, we, you know, we took some of our board members from Baton Rouge and some of their board members from Southeast, and then we went out and found new board members to kind of, you know, bridge the group. And uh, really, we got Gary Solomon with Solomon Group, and then we got Mike Polito here in Baton Rouge mm-hmm. as two of our new board members. And we said, since y'all are new, we want you to uh, run a campaign for us. Because we want... Or you're hazing the new board yeah, members. Yeah, we're hazing okay. the new board yeah. But we also knew that we needed that kind of new board member who wasn't committed to either they had a more global picture and as a new board member they had a global picture of what metro could be yeah and so we set off to say we want to raise seven hundred fifty thousand dollars on a merger uh, campaign to really give us an excuse to go out and talk to donors and family friends and neighbors about what we were doing and making sure the community was willing to support us and so uh, that campaign is supposed to end in September. We're at about $625,000 wow. right now. So they've done a stellar job. What it's allowed us to do is I have more staff now than, than ever before. We were always a little understaffed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, if we had turned over executive directors, and I wasn't there for 30 years, it probably things would have been changed. But, you know, I was doing a lot of it. And uh, for good, bad, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. So, so we have a really a development team now of three people. We have a program team of three people, and uh, who are really over doing oversight of programs and innovation and those kind of things. So, um, you know, it, it's doing great. And then we're 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 exploring new things. Like we are starting a pilot program on mental health with our kids. Mm-hmm. So we know that the, our kids have always had some mental health issues and access to mental health providers has been really hard in the communities where our families live. And just with COVID, we've seen um, a lot of anxiety, a lot of anger, a lot of, you know, just all of us have gone through all that. But we really realize that our kids probably are more 
uh, at need of some mental health issues. So we wanted to start um, putting licensed therapists inside our clubs and facilities to do group therapy and individual therapy, maybe even some family training, and realized that was a huge lift to load all at once. So I went to Family Services at Greater Baton Rouge and said, listen, I end up wanting to do this myself, although partnerships are great, but can we learn from you, because that's basically what they do, can y'all do that for us and then you know maybe we take it over or y'all do such a stellar job, I, like why would I take it over? And so we are piloting this fall uh, a mental health program that we will have a licensed therapist coming in there and talking to our kids and working with the kids. It's going to teach us a couple of things. One, you know, can we afford this? Because we can't get reimbursed from insurance and Medicaid and those kind of things. So is it something that we can maybe, you know, have the cost covered or do we have to go raise new dollars? And then it also will allow us to see, you know, what barriers our families have about mental health. And we think there are going to be some. I don't want my kids going to the crazy class yeah. or whatever those kind of things. So we really needed to, before we made that huge investment in doing something like this, we really needed to test that out with our families to see if they were going to be wanting it. We know, we think we the kids need it, the families need it, but there there are some barriers that we have to get over on, on mental health, not only in the communities that we work with, but in lots of communities. Well, there's a stigma to it as well, and it's just not as um, accepted as a true illness or whatever you might want to call it, as, you know, some like a physical ailment, sure. you know, and it's kind of like, well, somebody that's dealing with anxiety or stress or depression or whatever it may be. I mean, I'm not an expert, but, you know, I feel like people that don't deal with that are kind of like, well, just... Step out of it. Like, come on. Like, think of write something down you're grateful for. You'll be fine. You know? Yeah, lots of our families don't, you know, don't have a primary physician. Yeah. I mean, they're uh, underserved medically anyway, so to move them into mental health is even harder. Yeah. But we think the way, we think that because of the relationship we have with our kids and our families, that they're going to say this is a safe place. And if y'all say, my child needs this, and I've been trusting my child at Boys and Girls Clubs for three years... Yeah, 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 go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. you've been still trusting confidence. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's, that's what we're hoping for. So we'll hopefully I can come back in a year and say we've rolled this out to all of our sites and uh, it's doing great. Okay, so that being said, what are y'all's... So you have fundraisers and we'll just kind of pretend for right now COVID didn't exist, you know, in terms of fundraisers and stuff like that. But I mean, is that how much of the percentage of funding is that for you guys? Yeah. Or is that more like just touches for people, just out of curiosity? Yeah, it's a little of both. Here, when we were just Greater Baton Rouge, we really limited our fundraising to uh, really three things. Uh, one, we do a corporate event called Steak and Steak, mm-hmm. and Falcon Winkler has been a great supporter of Steak and Steak, and that's where we invite people to come to uh, an event where you meet our kids and you have a placemat and you draw with the kids and it's very interactive and those kind of things, but it's a corporate event that raised about a hundred thousand dollars for us on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a golf tournament named after, was named after John Manda. John, uh, Manda Fine Meats was mm-hmm. on our board and mm-hmm. died uh, when he was on our board. So we named the tournament after him. And that really is much more of a, not a huge fundraiser, but a friend raiser and appreciation of lots of people who support us. And so that raised twenty five to $30,000. We do have a young professional affinity group called Club Blue. Mm-hmm. These are like young people under 35 who want to support Boys and Girls Clubs. 
they do a lot of happy hour. I guess they call it networking, but yes. they go out and have, <laughs> do a lot of happy hour and, <laughs> and those other, and then they do some things for us. Like they do a haunted house and they do a toy drive and they do a field day with our kids. They came to us and said, Hey, we want to do a fundraiser for you guys and, and did one, uh, called the Great Futures Gala where they honor 20, they honor 15 young professionals mm-hmm. and that raises about $80,000 for us. So that's the fundraising that we did in Baton Rouge. And that was very limited and uh, because it takes a lot of man hours for volunteers and staff to do these fundraisings. And uh, we really think that I could spend the same time and come in to talk to Melissa here and say, Melissa, you believe in our mission. We want you to make a personal gift because if you, you do that, and maybe even that raises more money than we can do that. We are very fortunate to get some federal and local uh, grants and of course, you know, the Wilson Foundation has just been stellar for us in town, uh, but we get a lot of support from a lot of people. In New Orleans, they had they had um, every unit had done a little fundraiser also, and so uh, in Covington they had an Oxfest, and then we had a Blue Doors for Blue Doors Gala in New Orleans. Um, but all that's kind of changed since COVID, of course. Yeah. And so some of them have been postponed, some were in virtual. So you can definitely go to our website to learn more about those kind of things. But the best thing to do, I mean, come see our kids. We'll invite you out to anything. But really, if you're going to, if you're going to support us, make a donation. Yeah. Don't wait for an event because your dollars go further when you just give us straight cash. Yeah. So, or stock or, you know, oh, okay. uh, so <laughs> bitcoins I, I, or anything. So we'll take I get asked to be on a decent amount of boards because probably just because I have a strong person, strong dominating personality. And what I have to tell these executive directors and presidents is that I am a terrible fundraiser. Like thinking of asking somebody for money makes me kind of want to throw up a little bit. <laughs> I'm not, I can ask anybody for business, but I just applaud people like, I, Pat, I don't think you have a shy bone in your body to go. Like when you, when you want something, you are going to ask for it. Well, I, I appreciate that, but I, it's important to have people. And Melissa was a, a terrific board member when uh, because not only the board's responsibility is to, to raise dollars, but it's also the governance of the organization. And Melissa was a great person to ask those questions. As you could probably tell, Melissa's not afraid to talk. And we always really appreciate people's perspectives. And so there's a, there's a role for people, even though they don't like to raise money. But Melissa did a great job in raising money also. She, she knows okay. lots of people. I do know and she may say, go talk to I don't want to talk to them, but you need to go talk to them. And that's someone I would go talk to that maybe I didn't to. So you know, we, as... I hope over 30 years, I've learned to pull the gifts and talents out of board people and my staff uh, to do what's needed to help the organization. Your board is a great board and it's very well run because of its leader. It's evident for that. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So it, we, you know, I was a little sad. I, look at how I'm complimenting Pat. And he's like, okay. Okay, <laughs> exactly. I was a little sad that we needed to downsize our corporate board because of the merger. Yeah. And, we, and so we, we lost some board members. We do have uh, what we used to call a trustee board, mm-hmm. but now we're calling it a parish advisory council. And so we have these parish advisory councils in East Baton Rouge Parish, Tammany, Orleans, and Jefferson. And those are... Um, I'm not saying they're a junior board, but they're, they're people who are more boots on the ground, who want to do more stuff with the kids, who want to do um, maybe lightweight fundraising. And then I have a corporate board that does the heavyweight that did raise that $750,000 for the, for the merger. So again, there's lots of room. And then there's Club Blue, which is 
you know, I've got about a hundred young professionals in Club Blue right now, and they just they bring such energy to the organization. Saying, they're energetic. Well, they're young. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, just to be honest, <laughs> just age is not a number. No, you're you're gonna have more energy when you're younger. Yeah, <laughs> they're right. they're fantastic. I mean, and they have come up with some really good ideas, and just you know, they you can tell when you talk to them um, because there are a few that were on the board. I don't know if they're still on the board, right. um, and they you know, that their passion and how much they truly care about the mission of Boys and Girls Club. You know, it's it's very evident. They don't necessarily even have to say it. You can just sure. tell. Kind of like we want to raise our own club kids. I mean, that's what we're doing with our board members. You come into Club Blue, you come into the Parish Advisory Council, then you come to our corporate board. I mean, we want you to be, you know, I could tell you lots and lots of people who served with on my boards when they were young and now they're, they've moved on. But I want to I want to try to retain those really good board members. Yeah, well, you have some board members that have been on there for a long time. We do. So we have a, we have two board members who have actually been on longer than I've been here, yeah. and uh, are still very active, very passionate about boys and girls clubs. And so I'll, I'll say their names: uh, uh, Danny McConnell mm-hmm. and Bob Centelar, mm-hmm. both stellar men mm-hmm. and. You know, we we love their name uh, on our letterhead because they bring such credibility to the organization. Yeah, it's a. I mean, it's just you've you've uh, put together a great group of people, and I'm sure I'm missing out on you know 12 months of not knowing who they are. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> moving on. Um, okay, so you said that you are one of the founding members of the Baton Rouge Modern Quilt Guild. Yeah, can you believe that? What is that? So uh, this is really a long story, but anyway. <laughs> So, uh, my mom was a home economics teacher. Okay. And so she, uh, you know, sewed my, our, our whole life and made most of my sister's clothes all the way through her law school. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was, she really was a seamstress. And my son was at University Terrace Laboratory School, an IB program. And they had a program that they were supposed to do, learn a new, new, new task and then do some community service or, you know, some, some wacky thing that do. And so he decided he was going to make a quilt for uh, a homeless person. So we have a ranch in West Texas and my mom was up there and he, my son was working on this and he and my mom put together this quilt for a homeless person. That was so he'd learned a new task and those kind of things. And my mom had quilted a little bit in her life, but that really got her going about, uh, I should really make all my grandkids a quilt. And so she started quilting for her grandkids. And she called me up and said, I know you're very particular. <laughs> and so you need to pick out, you know, what a quilt you want your kid's quilt to look like. And I, you know, when I think of quilting, I kind of think duck on a stick. You know, it's very country and all that kind of stuff. But there had been starting a really kind of new movement on modern kind of aesthetic quilts. And uh, I, I said, you know, as a child, um, my mother would sit us in front of the sewing machine just to keep us busy in the summer at, the, at her high school. And so there would be the four of us at, on a sewing machine and she would give us line paper and we would have to, you know, run the sewing machine down the line paper. Just something to keep us busy. But anyway, so I l- grew up knowing how to sew and those kind of things. I said, this, this modern quilt looks great. I could, I could do this. And I really got into kind of the architectural making of it more than anything else. And uh, then there were a group of other people, like-minded people, who were into modern quilts. And so we started the Baton Rouge Modern Quilt Guild. And so this is a group of ladies (laughs) and me. uh, Who get together and quilt? Who sit around and talk about quilts on a monthly basis. 
and we show off each other's quilts. We do quilt chat. And I'm not, I, I, I will tell you, I have no, I'm no longer involved with the organization because you know, I, I've moved on a little bit. I hadn't quilted probably. My mom died a year ago and I haven't quilted since she passed away. But anyway, um, so, so anyway, it's a great group and it's very innovative thinking about how you take maybe traditional patterns and make them different and make them modern. So you need to Google and they meet at first meth at, at, you know, University Methodist Church. Okay. Um, I think on the second Monday of every month. Oh, it's, wow. It's a great Do they group. have a website? They have a Facebook page. Okay. Oh, hey, that's, so, yeah. that's Baton Rouge okay. Modern Quilting. And so it's a great group. Of, it's a great group of people. So It's very interesting. So how long has that organization been around? They've been around about five years. Okay. And I probably I probably have made uh, 75 to 80 quilts. You? Personally, yeah. So I am pretty much of a machine when I quilt. Oh, okay. So, so is that kind of like your stress relief? It sounds. It you told me like I wasn't stressed. I wasn't ever stressed. Well, I mean, I know you have to be stressed. I'm just saying you handle the stress well. Oh, I handle so. Yeah, they're handled the so, stress well. Uh, for those people who know my wife, I've been married to Andrea Miller, who's from Baton Rouge for you know 30 plus years, and she, I don't want to say she's anal, but she's a pretty controlling person, and uh, so she was like, yeah, 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 this quilt stuff is, we can't have this all over our house, oh. so she would allow me to quilt Friday afternoon till 60 minutes, and then every little scrap had to be up and out, mm-hmm. and so we wouldn't have to see it, so I, if I can get it done in a weekend, I would make a quilt, mm-hmm. and so I would do that almost every weekend, so... That's impressive. That's a quick turnaround, too. It is. Yeah, I have a lot of quilt tops, and then then you, you know, sandwich them and you quilt them. And I have, and I do that, too. I do that all on my domestic machine. So, do you give these quilts away? Well, Melissa, (laughs) I hate to to say I don't give them away. I have given some away, but they are really time and treasure for me. But every one of my nieces and nephews. So, what do you do with them? Oh, I just have stuff. So all I ever, I have ten nieces and nephews, and I, all of them have gotten one. My my two siblings have gotten them, and then my nieces and nephews all have are having babies now. And every time there's a new baby, I give them one. So I give them a lot away. But some people do make them and give them all away. But did oh, you put these the quilts are, in your will? These like, are going to get these quilts. Yeah, my kids come home <laughs> from uh, you know. Um, and they're like, oh, I want to turn in my quilt to get another quilt. And so they go through. Oh, that's so, very cool, though, yeah. Pat. When exactly. It, when it Except my son is actually living with me now. Which we could, uh, 28 years old, should not be living at home with their families. But COVID was difficult, like for a lot of people. He was living in Dallas and went away when he was 18 and took the LSAT on a whim and is now in law school. Oh. And so oh, okay. we were, That's... yeah. So he's home going to he's LSU going law, to school. law school. He's and, like in uh, bonbons all day. Okay? He's moving out soon. He's, we have a <laughs> rent house that he's moving into. It's just not quite ready, but yeah, yeah. So <laughs> okay. and I have a daughter. I'll just I'll tell you my fa- Yeah. I have a daughter who is uh, an accountant yep. at Grant Thornton in Dallas. And she went to Texas Christian with got her master's in accounting. And she does tax attorney for Grant Thornton and loves, loves living in Dallas, which we love Dallas also. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, before I forget, the best way to get information is to go to the website. Definitely. Social media. All of these things, right? Exactly. You can just, go, you can just do that. It's the easiest thing. That's yeah. normally what I tell people. Just type do. in BGC Metro Louisiana and you'll find us. If okay. you type in VR Clubs. 
um, you'll still get us. Okay. Type in Boys and Girls Clubs, Baton Rouge, you'll find us. Okay. We're out, we're out there, hopefully. We'll stick that link on the podcast um, notes. Okay. And by we, I mean Lainey, because I don't know how to do any of this. All right. So, to wrap up, let's talk about the favorite vacation that you've ever been on. Your once-in-a-lifetime experience at Top Ridge. Yeah. So, Top Ridge is... Um, is a, a a grand uh, Adirondack um, camp okay. uh, up in upstate New York that Marjorie Post, you know the Kellogg family, uh, actually developed. And so my sister, who lives in Dallas, uh, and for her school's auction, they bid on this camp trip. And so we went. Harlan Crow from Dallas, who's a real estate kind of person in Dallas, owns it now, and um, it is just the most magnificent place. It's probably got 40 structures on there. I mean, there were probably 15 couples who all went. And it's just, a, we were there during the changing of the leaves in the Northeast. And it was just, it's just magical. They have, you know, wooden boats that you take out on the lake and you can barely hear the motor running. And it was just, it was just magical. Just magical. Sounds really peaceful. So my, my sister invited her two brothers so the three of us were there, then a bunch of their friends from Dallas. And so we were really blessed to, to be there. And I'll never have that opportunity. And rarely rare, anybody has an opportunity because it's a privately owned uh, Adirondack camp to, to go. So Is it expensive? Well, I don't know why she bid on it on the auction. I would have a feeling that it was a good fundraiser for oh, their school. The gotcha. Thing, their kids who went to school. There. I mean, it just sounds kind of like exclusive. It was pretty, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a. I think that's right. I mean, you you can't you know make a reservation, and I don't think the crows uh, have ever done that again either. So it was a one time oh. thing oh. for a fundraiser. So wow. um, so anyway, we were very fortunate to get in in that that. That in, in that, on that list, in that club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. So. so, Pat, thank you so much. Is oh. there anything else that you want to add? Well, I just want to add thank you. Y'all are a great team here. Uh, so, Louisiana ladies, I was a little intimidated by being, you the, not intimidating, being, you're being the dude at the table. <laughs> but. Okay, we love our Louisiana lads. They get, we get a lot of listeners to the Louisiana lad episodes, by the way. So, okay. but I do appreciate Lainey, Lainey forwarding me your email. We're like, is it okay that I'm Is a guy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yes, I didn't even say that, that we do have an, a Louisiana lad. But, yes, we, uh, we've we had a lot of fun with this. And, um, you know, we're just... But thank you. Just, thank you for your support today. And then also for all, everything y'all have done for Boys and Girls Club. Yes. Really so, it. it really is such a great organization. And like I said, anytime I do interact with the kids, did you come to Steak and Steak one year? Maggie came. Um, our, young, our young professionals really have enjoyed Steak and Steak. Yeah. I found that we end up filling the table. And there's some there's some um, tenured employees that, I mean, they, they get a seat at that table, yeah. you know. And so, um, it's just, these kids are so funny sometimes. I mean, it's just so great to be able to interact with them, you well, know. You. So, and then they get all excited when we all do the giveaways and stuff like that. It's just, <laughs> it's great. Um, okay, so Pat, we wrap up really quick with um, some quick questions. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, no, this is the easiest part of the podcast. All right. Okay. Would you prefer football or baseball? And you can say neither. It's your podcast. Oh, it's my, I'm going to say baseball. Okay. Would you rather an appetizer or dessert? Appetizer. You're not a sweets person? Oh, well, I am, but I don't need to. Look at me. I'm oh. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think COVID-19 is 19 pounds. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like everybody kind of did that. Okay. I think this... You you do not drink wine or 
And the next question was red or white wine, but do you drink wine? I do well, occasionally. I'm not a big drinker, but I do red. Okay, so you do red, all right. Or and, bourbon, go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know if this is going to apply to you since we talked about reading. Would you rather listen to or read a book? I'd probably read a book. Okay. Road trip or fly? Road trip. Really? You like to drive? Well, I'm from Texas, and so from Baton Rouge... Everything's far. Everything's far. Everything's far. So from Baton Rouge to my hometown is 12 hours, and then to our our family farm, our ranch uh, in West Texas, that's, you know, 10 hours, so... And you can't really fly either places, so we we road trip a lot. And that's my kids learned how to ride in a car, so that's... And it's great. Yeah. Okay, so um, we wrap up really quick with things that make us happy. Things that make us happy. Okay. Okay. Which are very random things. Pat's looking at me all like, what are you about to say, Melissa? No, it's very, so thing that's making For being a nonprofit person, I'm not a real kumbaya kind of person. I know that. Okay. So, <laughs> so you know. <laughs> Every time Pat told me good job, I'm like, really? Do you really think I did a good job? Because I just basically disagreed with you, Pat. That's how I felt. <laughs> Look, things, things are coming out in this podcast, Pat. But, um, so I am going on vacation, uh, a fully unplugged vacation, Pat. Wow. Good. You got to do it. I read a book, a 50 page book about how to unplug as a business owner. And I have some accountability partners that are sitting right here, Maggie and Lainey. <laughs> and so everything's going to be taken care of, but I'm really excited because we're going to the mountains. It's so hot here. So that's what I'm looking forward to. And then a product wreck and we'll link it. And that's, this is going to be kind of weird. Sorry, Pat. There's a pajama set from Amazon. That's so legit. (laughs) It makes me happy. It just, you know, after getting out of these clothes. Um, Okay. Maggie, go. What makes you happy? My things that made me happy. I, we hosted my niece's birthday party at my house this weekend. And it's just fun to get people together and see your relatives that you hadn't seen in a little while. And, and sometimes you get on the water slide, and it's really fun too. And but then you hurt the next day. Yes, because because <laughs> you're, you're not as young as you were. Still not as young, even though you're quite young, Maggie. <sighs> so Pat, does anything make you happy? Everything. Well, being with you guys makes me happy. Oh, that was the best answer yet. I'll tell you, I took a vacation recently, and we rented electric bikes or electric assist bikes, which I recommend everyone to do. Oh, okay. And because we were kind of in the mountains also, uh-huh. and for four hours being on a bicycle was just. Stellar, and you don't have to like kill yourself pedaling. Well, you pedal, but you if you need assistance, electricity kicks into it. We need that for my husband. Yeah, it is just it's just fabulous, and you can just ride forever and forever, and you're not sore like we're going down a water slide. Yeah, so you got to do that. Really, in your I will. I I would hope where I'm going that that is that they have that option, and we would probably need it. I'm a big like outdoorsy. I I mean, I'm not gonna we're not gonna wake up at like five a.m. That's not that's not us. But I mean, I could spend the entire day outside. You know. So, um, anyway, Pat, thank you so much. No, thank really you. appreciate you being here. Good seeing you because I haven't seen you. COVID. Uh, COVID. <laughs> uh, seeing you virtually. Um, and like I said, check out their website, guys. Check out social media. Um, Club Blue is also, they, they've got a lot of avenues that you can get involved in and, and all of that you can connect with on the website or social media. So, thanks everyone. Hope everyone has a great week. I know that I'll be having a good week when this thing comes out. So, talk to everyone later. Bye.